Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. This is Matthew 7, 1 through 29. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a, a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, for you break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike their teachers of religious law. This is the word of the Lord.
I really enjoy weddings for a couple of different reasons. I enjoy weddings for the reasons that pastors are supposed to enjoy weddings. I love to hear how it is that the love story of a couple is woven together over a great deal of time and different circumstances to really help to tell the story of God's love that's been pursuing them throughout their lives. That's a beautiful thing. Oftentimes there's just such an aesthetic beauty to it. There's all sorts of uh, marvelous ceremony. I like all that stuff just fine like I'm supposed to, right? But there's one part that I really enjoy, and that's shortly before the couple is about to enter into the space of the ceremony, I like to ask each of them, so are you nervous? And the response that they give is very telling, because I want them to be nervous. If they're not nervous, they either don't know what they're getting into, or they're not taking it seriously. This is a pretty serious thing that they're getting into. Here in this passage, Jesus has been spending these past two whole chapters that we've spent the previous part of the month with telling his listeners what the kingdom of God is all about, what this relationship and commitment is all about. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It may be poverty, grief, and persecution. It will certainly be forgiveness, generosity, and purity of heart. It may require some anonymity and some deflection of praise means we delay some gratification for a future joy. Most of all, it means depending upon God and not on ourselves. It's an invitation to a relationship more than a reiteration of a rule book. And at this point during his foundation-laying teaching, Jesus is calling his listeners to make a decision. And if they're not nervous, they either don't know what they're getting into or they're not taking the invitation seriously. Either way, as Jesus' discourse is wrapping up, he's basically saying, friends, it's time to pick a partner and dance. But Jesus introduces us to a few more important steps in the dance before he gets to that, that popping of the question, and that leads to our first lesson. The first one is this. God will judge us by the same standard we use to judge others. God will judge us by the same standard we use to judge others. Jesus says, do not judge others and you won't be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Several Years ago in ministry, when my primary focus was on youth and student ministry, the church I served had a, a batch of high schoolers who were wildly talented musicians, just off the chart with their talent. They had great voices. They could play instruments, you name it. They were also really sharp and well-spoken. It was a gift. If you were entering into a place and you wanted to basically custom make a team to do incredible things, that was given to us. And so we developed a Wednesday night outreach program where the students would play popular songs that had spiritual undertones. And then there was a light show that went on, you know, flashing lights and strobes and things like that. And then the students would lead a devotional and we'd eat pizza and down a lot of caffeinated beverages. That was the, that was the program. It was a great design, and almost immediately, the room started filling up with kids who were usually hanging out at the skate park, and they had basically been kicked out of every other establishment in the community that required paying for somebody to loiter there. They smoked out front, not of their la all of their language was trustee approved. You get the idea, you get a picture in your mind of the kids who were showing up. So God had given us a chance to do ministry with a really rough-looking group of heathen misfits, and it was wonderful. 
They were not going to be future committee members, but these kids were fearless and they were curious. And that was the closest thing to church that many of them ever got. And one night, one of the older members of the church pulled me aside and said, Grant, I see you've got quite a crowd coming on Wednesday nights. That's great. Good to see so many youth. I'm wondering, though, and I'm not quite sure how to put this, are these the right kind of kids? I knew exactly what he meant. I knew his heart pretty well, and he honestly didn't mean to sound quite as uppity as he did. And I assured him, all is well, even though it was obviously a tiger that we were handling loosely by the tail on a weekly basis. But the question stuck with me. Were these kids the right kind of kids? Were these kids the right kind of kids to hear about the redemption, the hope, and the unconditional love of Jesus Christ? I sure hope so. Because if they're not the right kind of kids, if it's not for them, it's not for me. And at a certain point, I'm just not sure what the right kind of kid would be. It wasn't that man's best moment. He was using some standard to determine who would even deserve to hear about God's grace. I was not going to put these kids on the finance committee or anything anytime soon, and they would probably rather have died than be on the finance committee. But it was about who gets to know about grace and our need for it. What standard do we use to determine someone's worth? Is it money? Do we use money as a standard to determine someone's worth? If so, we'd better be the richest one there is. If we determine someone's worth based on appearance, we'd better be the best dressed and best looking ever there was. If it's manners, we'd better be the very best behaved with no flaws. If it's our past, then we'd better have the cleanest slate. Whatever standard we use to exclude others will be the standard used to measure our lives against the faultless standard of Christ. And no matter what standard we use, all of us, all of us will come up short. Most of us have great fault detectors. It's just that according to Jesus, our aim is terrible. When we judge in ways that keep other people from drawing nearer to God, we basically tell the sick that they can't come to the doctor. When we judge, we take the soul medicine God prescribes for our lives and try to force it down someone else's throat. So often, Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the professionally religious and extended his most gracious welcome for the notorious sinners. I really want to act towards people as Jesus acted towards people. I want to reserve my strongest standards for the professionally religious guy that I see in the mirror every day. I want to be generous with people like Jesus was generous with us. I don't want to give up standards altogether. Jesus didn't. But I do want to fall on grace when I fail and point others to that restorative power of grace as well. That leads to our second lesson from this morning's scripture. Empathy and understanding Make the golden rule golden. Empathy and understanding make the golden rule golden. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the Law and the Prophets. When they were younger, I would take our girls to the dollar store whenever there was an occasion that required the purchasing of presents. And they'd get like up to $5 to get whatever they wanted for their mom or for their siblings. We've upgraded to a a singular gift from five below now, if you're wondering how things are going with that. When they were younger, we would take a trip around the store, we'd talk about what our loved ones would like, and then they would proceed to purchase whatever it is that they wanted for themselves anyhow, and then give it as a gift, which is totally appropriate at that age. But a lot of us still treat the golden rule that way. I'll do to others exactly what I want and can handle. And if they don't like it and they can't take it, too bad. Golden rule. 
But here's how this deontological ethic really works. Ultimately, we desire to be known by someone who seeks to understand and reflect that understanding in loving ways. The golden rule first asks the big question, how do you want to be treated? To be treated with attention, with care, with respect, and with dignity. The golden rule calls us to care for people in those ways. The first step in treating people well is to know them better. It's more demanding than imposing your preferences on someone else. And knowing the greater demand of all of this, Jesus calls us to make a decision to do it. To make a decision in light of all that's instructed and how we will choose to live. And that leads to our third lesson. Not everyone accepts God's widespread invitation. Not everyone accepts God's widespread invitation. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, to condemnation, is broad. The gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. I referenced G.K. Chesterton several weeks back, but the English writer once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. In other words, people don't give up on Christianity because it's lacking, but because it's too demanding in many cases. That's true. In this passage, Jesus makes an exclusivity claim. He's saying that not everybody's okay. Matter of fact, all of us have a need. There is a narrow pathway that is leading to true and eternal life, and few will find it. Perhaps few will ever even seek it. Maybe they desire the destination, but none of the journey or the company that travels along the way. There's no doubt that right-side-up living is difficult. Being poor, mourning, meek, and merciful is really hard. Dying to ourselves so that Christ may live through us is hard. Relying on God to be our all-sufficient reward is hard. But so is the alternative. Living in today's new fundamentalism where conservatives and liberals alike will cancel the other and eat their own without any room for redemptive grace is a wide road right now. And the pathway is littered with lots of lives that went from broken to battered. And that's an unsustainable pathway to a future filled with hope. But Jesus also warns us that those who will, there are those who will offer us a path to life, but their motives are selfish. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. How can we tell? He says you can identify them by their fruit and is the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Are they living a right-side-up life? Are they leading others into it? They show the spiritual fruits of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, Jesus had told us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom of God is not just about outward appearances and the fruitfulness we can see, however. And so, immediately after saying we can see the fruits, he also adds a bit of an asterisk. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment, many will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I didn't know you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And here's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter how good our denials or play acting may be. In the end, if we are not friends with God 
The objective, objections and performances mean nothing. Friendless is a dangerous place to find ourselves when life gets difficult. That leads to our fourth lesson. Accepting Christ's call prepares us to weather the storms. Accepting Christ's call prepares us to weather the storms. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents, the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on a sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Every house faces storms. Jesus doesn't say it's only the ones built on sand that face storms or the ones that are built on the rock that face storms. Every house faces storms. Every life faces these storms. Storms of sickness, loss, unemployment, divorce, even wealth and success and acclaim. Those are storms. The parts of our lives that will stand through storms are the parts that are built on Jesus and how we follow him. Everything else is shifting sand. Everything else. At the beginning, we looked at how this message was part of an initiation that Jesus was offering to his newly selected apostles. And he's really trying to brace them for the storms that they would face. So many of them would one day die for this faith, for their unshakable trust in this man who is teaching them this lesson. What did they know about faith that we don't? I think they knew that there's something at stake. There's truly more at stake than what we often sense here when we gather together on our Sunday mornings. I remember Jesus saying that if our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, then we won't even get to see the kingdom of heaven. And I think about how many people in our community don't have a relationship with Christ, don't know the love of a Savior. How many of our neighbors and coworkers, friends and children and grandchildren, what happens to them apart from this relationship with Christ? People, people with justice, their lives, their eternities, they're at stake. And I get brokenhearted sometimes. How many of them are kept distant from Christ and his church by our hypocrisy, by our judgment, by my thoughtless words, by my stubbornness, by our unmovable personal preferences. How many have to miss out on God's love and provision or spend eternity apart from a loving God because we choose not to be broken for them, because we refuse to be moved? If they don't come to know Jesus through the Christians of Christ's church, who's going to tell them? If they don't experience sacrificial grace among the people who know the weight of Jesus' death on the cross, who is going to lay down their lives for them? Something is at stake, church. Will we be a part of God's work to turn an upside-down world right side up again? His kingdom come. His will be done. Jesus invites us to choose if we're willing to take this difficult and narrow pathway to experience the joy of new life and sharing new life. I so desperately want God to use my life for that. Mostly because I'm so grateful for the new life that Jesus has given to me. He showed me my need. And when I fell to my knees, I landed upon grace. And it set me back on course. That grace is there for you. And it's there for those who couldn't imagine that it's there for them. And when we share it as freely as it's been shared with us, the world starts to turn right side up again. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, 
We ask that as you call us to choose you, to know what it is that we're choosing. Choose a path that's more difficult and yet filled with a greater love. To choose a, a path that would cost us greatly and yet will provide for our every need. A path that may call us to step away from things of this world that we find precious and yet invite us to a world that is without end. God, help us to choose wisely and choose well. Lead us by your grace. Let us step out in faith and know that upon the solid rock of the teaching of Christ and the grace that he offers, we will always find firm footing. We love you, Lord, because you have first loved us. Help us to live out this amazing teaching. And when we fail to, help us to know that grace will catch us. We depend on you, Lord, each and every day. Let it make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.